Each of the Beatitudes shows a sharp distinction uh, between Christians, their hearts, the way they live, and that of the world. Uh, Christ sees mourning as a good thing. The world avoids it at all costs. The world would say, distract yourself by whatever means are necessary. Overdrink, overeat, go to the mall, or Amazon.com. I learned yesterday that you can store thousands of dollars worth of goods in your cart. <laughs> or binge watch TV shows. Anything, anything but face reality of a fallen world and our own hearts and more. The world resists mourning, and sometimes we do too. The attitudes are um, an x-ray of our hearts. We've talked about the progression from one to the next. Just looking at the first three for a moment here. Uh, the poor in spirit refers to those who are, are spiritually destitute and who know it. Of course, we all, acknowledging it or not, are spiritually destitute and that we bring nothing to God. That is being poor in spirit, receiving from God all that we need. Leading us to be more honest with God and ourselves and daring to be people who mourn. And this is actually an emotional counterpart to poor in spirit. It is a God-centered hatred. It is a visceral hatred for sin. But then uh, we meet the God of all comfort. Having met the God of all comfort uh, in our own weakness and sins, our hearts are humbled so that we may exercise genuine meekness or gentleness, if you will, with others, having been humbled before God and having then a humble self-assessment of, of ourselves. Which leads us then now to, to look again at the whole of the Beatitudes. And I'd like us to say them again as we seek to get them into our minds and hearts. Uh, let us recite together uh, the Beatitudes. And I'll keep talking until they appear. <laughs> um, do we have them, Paul? them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. One more. Blessed are the merciful, 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. We'll be doing that uh, each week. Uh, This morning, then, the second uh, of the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Even as I recite that again to you, it is critical that we understand at the outset that this uh, Beatitude is not primarily about mourning, as if that were the goal of the Christian life, but it is a vehicle, the pathway to comfort to comfort. Our, our, pur- our purpose this morning is, is that we would see the importance and how to mourn for sin and to seek the Spirit's gift of, com- of comfort. To mourn for our sin and to see the Spirit's gift of comfort. Blessed are those who mourn. The counterfeit mourning uh, happens uh, all around us. We want to consider first what it's not. Uh, being um, uh, be, having um, an attitude of mourning um, is is not going around and simply wearing a long face and groveling in depression and self pity. Some of us, uh, by nature, are a little more melancholic than others. Um, I do I do want to show some of my wardrobe right now. This is this is a sweatshirt and it's got Eeyore on it. Do you remember Eeyore? And, uh, and I, someone gave this to me about 20 years ago. I love the color, and I love the fit. My kids hate the Eeyore, but I, I kind of like it. And, uh, and, and some of us are a little bit more like Eeyore than others. Some of us are given to that type of, of, of mourning, perhaps more easily than others. But it is not simply uh, this uh, self-pity or melancholic attitude. Neither is it the grief of losing a loved one. It It is not the grief of losing your job or your home or failing an exam. Uh, mourning is get instead is a God-centered distress over sin. We mourn because of our sin, not the sorrow of bereavement, and though that is a heartbreaking thing, we think especially this week, but the sorrow of repentance. We see the darkness of our own hearts before a holy God, and we grow to hate it. It is the experience of Isaiah in the sixth chapter. He, the angels, uh, he hears the angels who are saying to one another, holy, holy, holy uh, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the first thing that comes to Isaiah's mind is this mouth. He is undone by his tongue. Woe is me, I am undone or I am lost. The wicked words he knows leak out of a wicked heart and that causes him to mourn before the Lord. It is the same experience of David where David saw um, his own selfishness and the cruelty of which he was capable. 
of stealing a woman who did not belong to him and then killing her man. As tragic as that is, he also came to see that sin is always, first of all, against God. And is and said against you, you only have I sinned. But that obvious sin of his uh, cr- cracked the door of his heart so that he was able to see inside an even greater reality. And, and that is, wait a minute, I have been this way from my birth. In, in sin, my mother conceived me. In sin, she bore me. This it describes my fallen condition. And so it is the human tendency as we face this bracing reality to excuse ourselves or to put up some kind of a Teflon shield so to, to take the bite out of God's word at least just a little bit. But mourners don't ignore it. They can't ignore it. They do feel it. And they mourn. They mourn because of their own sin. We see from the example of the Lord Jesus, though, that mourners also mourn for the sin of other people. We mourn for the dishonesty that we see in business and in politics in our in our own country at this time, at, and at probably and at all times. We see uh, abortion on demand, and, and we consider that people simply rather do what they want at the cost of another one's life. We mourn. We mourn the violence in families where many suffer in silence and suffer, suffer in silence and suffer alone. As we look around at the sin of those around us, we more easily join in Jesus' condemning of the religious hypocrisy that he saw, we are less able or less willing to follow him all the way to the end of Matthew 23 and to weep and mourn as he did for Jerusalem. As the psalm says, my eyes shed streams of tears because people don't keep your laws. For those of us who are poor in heart and do acknowledge our sin before the Lord, uh, there is an amazing promise. You will find comfort in Christ. But again, we must watch for counterfeit comforts. We may comfort ourselves rather than comfort ourselves in the gospel. We, and, and consider how it is that you encourage friends who come to you very deeply distressed about something that they may have done. Listen to the words you've used when you are seeking to encourage them. It's not that bad. Everybody does it. Nobody's perfect. Don't take yourself so seriously. Get over it. Oftentimes, we use that kind of language with the hope and the expectation if we ignore it long enough, We'll just forget about it, and it will go away. And we settle for a calloused conscience and miss out on Holy Spirit joy. Well, the Holy Spirit brings real mourners a true comfort. The Holy Spirit brings real mourners true comfort. 
We've been speaking today about the free forgiveness that we have in Christ, that uh, Jesus declared uh, it is finished in the sense that your sins have been fully atoned for and there is therefore no more judgment against us. Listen again, Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. The Psalms 30 again uh, speak to our conscience through the Holy Spirit, and I can only plead with you, do you get this? Do you get this, understand, perceive, and grasp this ministry of the Holy Spirit where weeping may tarry in the night, but joy comes in the morning because of your risen Christ. Uh, You have turned, we may say to the Lord, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. The Christian uh, does not stay with his or her sin. The Christian has learned to respond through the power of the Spirit and by the blood of Christ by dancing. Again, in Isaiah 61, I want to read these passages and let let the scriptures wash over you. These words spoken by Jesus recorded in Luke 4 for us, but I'm reading from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Question for each of us, are you presently enjoying the Spirit's ministry of bringing the comfort of the cross in the free forgiveness of Jesus. For many, we allow past sins already confessed to the Lord to rule our conscience. For some, there may be memories that haunt, uh, there may be uh, things that you've done in the past that haunt your memories. Um, We are not to allow um, mourning to be mired in moping. We are not to be allowed in the gospel uh, to allow mourning to be mired in moping. The blood of Jesus sets you free for full comfort, for dancing. We, uh, We long for that permanent and full measure of comfort that comes later. Uh, li- listen to these uh, to these uh, concepts drawn from Revelation chapter chapter seven. The Lamb, the Lamb who was slain uh, to take away the sins of the world, is also the Shepherd who gently leads us to the springs of living water. The Holy Spirit comforts our hearts. Until once more, at one final time, God himself will wipe away the tears from our eyes. 
for that one last time. Listen to these verse, this verse from Revelation. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We find ourselves now needing to renew our comfort in the work of the Spirit and again calling forth for the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. But, but we also are looking ahead to that time when our sins will once and for all time be so completely obliterated, not only from the heart of God, but from ours as well, so that we may live with that eternal comfort in the presence of the Lord. Two things I want to mention before I want to unfold before um, at, at the conclusion now of, of this brief exposition of the passage. And the first thing is this: that since we realize we have been called to be those who mourn and yet also to pursue that spirit-wrought comfort, we are enabled and in fact called to face our Romans seven struggle against sin. Face your Romans 7 struggle against sin. Romans 7, of course, says that uh, in our flesh, that is, our, our members, called our members there, our sinful desires, our impulses of the flesh, Paul says in very strong language that we are sold over into sin, which does not mean that we sin um, constantly, that we sin um, progressively worse, uh, that we are sold as slaves and have no other choice. It says instead that our flesh, admired here in this world as it is, still has those sinful impulses so that we don't do what we want. We want to do what's right, but evil is right at hand. We know Paul's grief. In my flesh dwells no good thing. Well, how do we handle this? How do we respond to this present reality of our sinful flesh? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests, and I think this is a good one, Martin, he, he suggests that, that at the end of each day, um, we have a timeout. Take a few moments for meditation. Uh, one thing that Calvin did, every time he laid down his, his, his head to, to go to sleep, he, he thought through the things that he had learned that day the things that he had studied in God's Word, to cement them in his own mind. And that's a great practice, but, but this is a good one to add to it. And that is to think, asking questions like this, what have I thought, said, or done against anyone today? What have I thought, said, or done against anyone today? You might use the Beatitudes to uh, help lead you in sober self-assessment. When have I been harsh rather than meek? When did I turn willingly into sin instead of hungering and thirsting for righteousness? When was I vindictive rather than merciful? When did I not have a pure heart but instead was that double-minded person from Psalm 86? When was I not a peacemaker but maybe even a troublemaker? When was I not persecuted, but maybe I became the persecutor? We, we take stock of those things 
consider them, we're humbled by them, we mourn for them, but here, people, is, the, is the, what I urge you. We mourn, but we do not brood. Brooding is, we might call that negative thinking that leaves us stuck. That brooding is mourning, but without dancing. One of my disciples uh, taught us maybe 35, 40 years ago this little phrase, if you think about your sin for more than a half hour, you're not repenting. You're atoning. If you think about your sin for more than a half hour, you've put yourself up on the cross next to Jesus. Mourners, be comforted in Jesus. You are dead to sin, but alive to righteousness. The dominion and the power of sin being broken. You turn for mercy, and you also turn to remember you are not under that dominion. Its power is broken. Mourners, be comforted in Jesus. Mourners, be comforted that your sin is condemned in Jesus. God has no further charge against you, although you may have a charge against yourself. And the Holy Spirit grants us this comfort in the Savior. Face your Romans 7 reality and experience, but do it through the gospel. The second thing is this, and this is easily misunderstood, but that is to expect the Holy Spirit to deepen your emotional experience of both mourning and gaining comfort. Expect the Spirit to deepen your emotional experience of these things. Now, I am not, hear, hear me well, I am not calling you to manufacture experience for its own sake. That is false. That is fake. What I am saying is that as the Spirit leads us in the fear of God, and that is the direction He's taking all of us, as the Spirit leads us in the fear of God, there is a growing sense of both mourning and dancing. Once again, these expressions of the inner life are not the same for everybody. There are some who are more expressive, both in mourning and in dancing. We're not looking for clones. What we're looking for, and in fact what the Spirit promises, is that we grow in the fear of God and these realities become more a part of us. The growing Christian will experience both mourning and dancing more deeply and more brightly as we grow in the fear of the Lord. It is important to say as well that the glory of God that leads us to both mourning and dancing, mourning and comfort, is not a glory that breeds terror or sinful fear. Spurgeon put it nicely, said, when you are afraid of God, you're missing that he is the Father. Fear of God is not terror, and it is not being afraid. We pray for the spirit of adoption to lead us away from terror, as John 4 teaches us. But the nearer we get to the Father, 
the happier we are with this filial fear, that means the fear of a son, the fear of a daughter, and yet the closer we get, we are trembling in our fear. Not, not terror, but that sense that we are in the presence of the Almighty, and our knees will shake, and our stomach will turn, as we marvel that this one allows us to come near. I want you to listen to the message for just a moment as we conclude. John Barnett. Oh, that a great God should also be a good God. A good God to the unworthy and, des- and undeserving. And to a people who continually do what they can to provoke him. And this should make us tremble in fear towards our gracious Father. Those growing in filial fear um, of God will mourn more and not less and find greater comfort than we ever dared hope. And again, Spurgeon, uh, God's goodness often fills us with amazement And amazement has in it an element of fear. We are astonished at his gracious dealings with us. Why have you been so good to me for so many years and in so many ways? Why have you shown so much mercy and tenderness to me? You have treated me as if I had never grieved or offended you. Oh God, your love is like the sun. I can't gaze upon it. Its brightness would blind my eyes. I because of your goodness. Holy Spirit, may that be said of each of us. Let us pray. Dear Father, of the Spirit that bids us to mourn. Thank you for the ministry of the Spirit that does not allow us to continue mourning without also receiving comfort. Father, we thank you that you work through the Lord Jesus died Raised, resurrected, ascended, coming again. That we look forward to the completion of our hope and our comfort. And you give us taste of that now. You are so good. You are so great. We readily acknowledge that. But you are thoroughly good as well. For this we praise you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.